0: Welcome to 20 a day, where we explore all of the fun holodeck episodes and holographic characters from the Star Trek franchise. <laughs> <laughs> At this point in our show, we are going afield of our original inspiration, which was the uh, some of the next generation episodes where mm-hmm. Captain Picard gets to play his uh, P.I. persona and uses the line 20 a day plus expenses. Mm-hmm. But in this episode, we're going forward to, uh, I mean, Next Generation always holds a special place in my heart, but in terms of a television show, uh, probably the best one and probably my favorite as a show, uh, an episode from Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Wait, um, should we say who we are? Oh, yes, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I'm Nathan Paletta. I'm Epidine Ravishaw. And uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Season 7, Episode 15, Bing. Bada bang. Bada bang. This was a, I think, different in many ways from our last, uh, from, from our typical coverage. First of all, not a something terrible has gone wrong on the holodeck episode, (laughs) which is, I think, the standard, uh, the standard fare for what we look at, uh, in this show. Also, Coming in the last season of D Space Nine, even though this is mostly a standalone-ish episode, um, it really benefits from watching previous episodes and kind of knowing the ongoing storylines in the show.
1: Yeah, Uh, which... As it turns out, uh, I am not entirely familiar with, so I may be asking some questions that some of our viewers may be also asking. So our
0: our viewers, viewers and listeners, in our hollow yes hollow audio oh, future. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I did a DS9 rewatch a couple of years ago. I actually I mean I never saw it while it was on the air other than random episodes here and there, but um at some point in the last five years I watched the entire series front to back and then did a rewatch. So so and I haven't watched it in a while, so coming back for this episode was actually really fun because it was like, oh, look at all these look at all these characters that I like.
1: <laughs> I will say, uh not not having watched many uh, Deep Space Nine episodes I really enjoyed myself uh watching I, I wasn't sure if I would I mean I'm I don't think you would have led me astray I'm, I'm not <laughs> saying that but uh um I definitely was like okay let's 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 see what we got here what's going on there were some characters that I remember from uh like Worf well, Worf is only in it briefly, but, yeah. uh, uh, O'Brien, mm-hmm. I, I, do remember them from my, my, uh, next gen years. Uh, this was still an entertaining piece to television.
0: Uh, one of the things that makes the DS9 in particular fun to talk about is kind of how much long, long-term storytelling they did and how interesting the characters ended up so generally there's going to be backstory behind like anything which is kind of mm-hmm. nice so i'll try not to get too nerdy about it get a little dirty though right <laughs> and i'm no by no means like an expert or whatever i just like the show a lot but um i will try to limit my responses to your questions Ah, yeah okay i see what you're saying is what i'm trying to say um yeah so this is uh kind of Towards the end of the last season, um, I believe it's, it's noted as kind of the last standalone episode before the like story arc that kind of wraps up the Mm. entire show that kind of kicks in with the next episode. In the arc of the season, it's very much a little beat, like a little like rest beat between some pretty serious, um, story, story storylines that involve the Dominion War and characters being traumatized and you know galactic space fights and 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 all the all the craziness um gold ducat becoming a proto evil god anyway uh <laughs> it's a little refresher it's a little spritz of of something light and fun uh to break mm-hmm. up all of that serious stuff uh this episode is written by uh, ira steven bear and hans bimler um bimler not sure how to say that name ira steven bear is basically the showrunner at this point um he mm-hmm. took over the show i Think of the third season um and uh wrote you know a number of the episodes uh was producing the show etc etc uh he got his start in television on a little show in the early 80s called brett maverick
1: hey featuring uh
0: <laughs> friend friend of 20 a day james garner yeah uh which is great um the Memory Alpha entry notes that this is a idea that he'd had for a long time and kind of wanted to get into the show somewhere, somehow, and it kind of finally all came together. Uh, the director is Michael uh, Ve- Vehar, who directed a lot of, of uh, Deep Space Nine episodes. But also, again, earlier credits starting off in the 80s, directed episodes of both The Incredible Hulk mm. and Magnum P.I. Yay. Uh, my, my overall statement for this show, for this particular episode, it is it is clearly made by a bunch of people who are just having as much fun as they can. Yeah. And that's the <laughs> actors. And it's also, I think, in the production, because there's some stuff that's very celebratory about the heist uh, that we're going to get to see.
1: If I might, and this is a theme I probably will keep coming back to as I'm doing this, because um, it reminds me in many ways of kind of like a traditional role-playing game gone right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, uh, and I'm I'm apologizing right now to our listeners who don't have the context of that. I'll try to put that in context as we talk about it. But there are several hallmarks here of what's going on, uh, especially when we start talking about who Felix is. Because yeah, I need to know. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I just wanted to like put that out there as a prelude to where oh, I'm sure. going to go with all this.
0: Hello, listeners. We really appreciate you being here, and we want to make sure that you know that you can become a patron over at patreon.com slash 200 a day. In addition to episode previews and access to the 200 a day Rockford Files file spreadsheet, our patrons get plus expenses, a bonus podcast where we talk about movies we're watching, books we're reading, and games we're playing. 200 a day will remain free to all for as long as we do it. But if you want to help support us and get access to the new Plus Expenses audio feed, you can become a patron for just $1 an episode. Each episode, we extend a special thanks to our gumshoe level patrons. This time, we say thank you to Jim Crocker. In addition to supporting the show, he also sells our games at conventions east of the Mississippi. See where to find him at Jim Games on Twitter. Shane Liebling, if you play games online, you know you should check out his free dice rolling app, Roll for Your Party, at rollforyour.party. Jay Adan check out his amazing miniature painting over at jadon.com. Dylan Winslow, Dale Norwood, Dave P., Dale Church, and finally, big thanks to Detective Patrons. Check them out on Twitter, Eric Antenor, at Antenor, Brian Pereira, at Thermoware, Bill Anderson, at Billand88, and of course, Richard Haddam, at Richard Haddam. We follow them too, at 200pod. Help out the show by leaving a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. Tell a friend who you think would like it and check out patreon.com slash 200 a day to see if becoming a patron is right for you. As all of our episodes do, we start with our cold open um, (laughs) where we have uh, Dr. Julian Bashir and we all know O'Brien. Um, (laughs) So we have Bashir and O'Brien. They're in the hollow suite in uh, the Vic Fontaine program. So hanging out with Vic Fontaine, our Mm -hmm. 60s lounge singer in Vegas. They're showing him a Davy Crockett hat and offering to transfer (laughs) him into their favorite program of the moment. Their defense of the Alamo that they hair off to whenever they
1: want to blow off some steam. Now, uh, this will be touched upon a little bit later, but I just want to say uh, it is astounding to me. How much a United Federation of Planets is obsessed with not just Earth culture, but Western culture, and not just Western <laughs> culture, but American History and not just American history, <laughs> but the sort of American history we learned through our popular culture in the late '80s and early '90s. I just want to
0: like, yeah, it's a weird coincidence, isn't it? Yeah, it's just weird. Vic is isn't isn't a big fan of that idea, but he uh, sings a song to get them in the mood. Uh, Alamo, standing around by the Alamo, walking around in San Antonio. Which apparently was composed for this intro. This isn't like a jazz standard or anything, apparently. Uh, I mean, it certainly is the most Texas song I've ever heard. (laughs) uh suddenly the the lounge turns into a mm. crowded casino floor uh the three of them look confused and there's a parade of showgirls and the crowd starts catcalling and telling vic to get off the stage because obviously mm. he's not who they're there to see um o'brien posits that perhaps there's a pointer error in the hollow parameter file <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, And then we have an appearance from Frankie Eyes, which is big goon of an enforcer, Cheech.
1: I just want to point out here that uh, Frankie Eyes and Cheech are amazing goons. Just the look of them is perfect.
0: Yeah. They show up and it's like, oh, look at these goons.
1: Yeah. Uh, I know Cheech from like, I guess probably from a thousand things looking at his IMDb. Yeah. But like, I immediately had a reaction to him when I saw him. I was like, oh yeah, I know who he's going to be. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, Frankie Eyes is, is exactly Frankie Eyes. Now these are well cast characters here.
0: Apparently, uh, Frankie Eyes and Vic know each other. Uh, Frankie Eyes has bought the hotel. And he doesn't want Vic to Hanging around anymore He kicks him out Makes it clear That he's going to be blackballed From performing If he has anything to say about it Yeah O'Brien of course Won't stand for this And tries to delete them From the program But <laughs> so
1: It's always a good sign
0: To no avail mm-hmm. The program also will not freeze uh, Frankie Eyes is uh, done with them Has Tells Teach to throw him out And we go to the credits With uh, Teach Picking up Vic by the lapels In a very threatening manner And then we go to our opening deep space nine credits yes so yeah this is uh so welcome to the far future
1: (laughs) nothing feels more realistic than uh o'brien's reactions to these holodeck things Mm -hmm. this is me Dealing with, like, a window that won't open or, you know, like, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it felt felt very real. And considering when these were made and filmed, that was when things that were supposed to be realistic computer interactions (laughs) were displayed as these weird futuristic things. And for some reason, I just, there's, like oh, okay, I'll just stop the program. Okay, it won't stop. All right, freeze everything. Okay, wait, that's not working. Like (laughs) (laughs) Like
0: something is clearly wrong here. Yeah. It aired in early 99. So yeah, probably. So shot in 98.
1: Yeah, it just, it it really, it really hit home. It felt real. Um, Yeah,
0: there's nothing more real than the frustration of an electronic device that won't do what you thought it was going to do. (laughs) Exactly. All right, well, we come back. From our credits to uh, O'Brien, Beshir, and uh, Vic mm-hmm. Fontaine figuring out what's going on, uh, Vic says that there's nothing they can do to stop Frankie Eyes. He's a made man, so <laughs> he has mafia connections. Um, O'Brien says that they can restart the program, which will reset everything, but that'll also wipe Vic's memory, and Vic does not want that to happen. Bashir knows, uh, apparently has the ability to talk to the guy who designed the program. Someone named, was it Phoenix? Felix. So he's going to talk to him and uh, Vic will stay out of Frankie Eyes' way while uh, our Starfleet officers try to solve this problem.
1: This is the scene where I first realized that we are dealing with um, a role-playing game. <laughs> so I'm going to take the point of view that the deep space nine crew are the player characters. Yes. And I can, I'll make an argument for this aside from just the fact that they probably should be, cause they're the main cast, but, um, I'll, and I'll make that argument a little bit later, but, uh, this is a scene that happens in a lot of these games where a problem has shown up and there is a straightforward solution to the problem that they can't do and they need to talk their way through why they can't do it and set the parameters the, right. the, the sort of the boundaries of how they can solve the problem because I think this is the scene where they realize they can't just shoot them with a phaser
0: yeah they, they say that in the next scene but
1: yeah I was having flashbacks while watching this to like a thousand gaming sessions right, where that's right. like we pcs are having a discussion in front of the gm who occasionally jumps in as an npc to explain to us why that solution wasn't going to work yeah <laughs> and sort of lay out the boundaries of the puzzle we're about to solve mm-hmm. and um i appreciated it on on the screen here yeah
0: and that plays out through the next scene also all part of this one sequence um there is a thing here where uh one of those things that is from an earlier episode uh so O'Brien, Beshear and Vic are all talking on the same level because Mm -hmm. Vic Fontaine is a self-aware hologram. Right. And that's something that came about earlier in the season. So this is differentiating him uh, from, you know, from from like professor Moriarty who became self-aware and that was a problem. Vic Fontaine is like kind of self-aware because it makes him more fun to interact with. My
1: question about that is, was there an episode where he was made self-aware or is that just been a the nature of his program since the beginning?
0: Um, Off the top of my head, I don't remember that being an episode. Just looking it up real quick, he was Mm -hmm. designed to be self-aware because like the guy, Felix, who designed him, like Beshir asked him to make a very... Uh, advanced hologram or whatever. Um, but there is an earlier episode which I assigned you as homework. Um, but our our listeners, yes. you know, may also be familiar. Earlier in the season there's an episode where um or Nog, who we'll meet in a second, uh comes back from from combat with an injury. Mm-hmm. He had to have his leg replaced with a prosthetic. a prosthetic. Um and he's has some terrible PTSD and he ends up kind of getting through that through hanging out in this hologram, in this holographic suite with Vic, with it running all the time. Uh, and so there's a, a plot point from that episode is that they end up leaving Vic's world running constantly. Unlike other suite programs where they only yeah. come on when you go onto the holodeck, he goes to sleep. He has downtime. He, like, lives a real-time life. And so that's another reason why this is going to be such a problem.
1: Right. And uh, wh- why there's a time pressure on... Uh, the people who want to help Vic here. Right. Uh, and I, I, I do want to point out that Constantly is 26 hours a 26 day. 26 hours, yes. Yes.
0: <laughs> yeah. So over uh, our next scene, we kind of meet more of our standard our ensemble cast that is going to be in this episode. So Nog, who is the Ferengi ensign, um, who is now back on duty after having his terrible injury, Uh, He is not going to let this stand. Um, Anyone who hurts Vic is going to answer to Nog because he owes him a lot. And that's from that earlier (laughs) episode. We have a brief Worf appearance um, who has no patience for holograms. (laughs) Don't you like Vic? As a singer, I
1: find him entertaining. But beyond that, I neither like him nor dislike him. He
0: is a hologram and therefore he does not exist. (laughs) <laughs> Get that paycheck, uh, Worf. We will not see you in the rest of the episode. Uh, Bashir did talk to Felix. So uh, the GM got back to us about this particular yes. point, which is that <laughs> the program has this, they call it a jack-in-the-box programmed into it. So a unforeseen wrench that is thrown into the works to keep it from getting boring for people interacting with it. Yeah. Um, so it's meant to be there. Therefore, it's not an anomaly that can be solved technologically. It has to be solved within the fiction of the hol- of the simulation, yes. and that's where they talk about they can't just shoot him with a yeah. phaser uh, because that isn't part of the 1960s reality that Vic and Frankie Eyes and everyone is living in. Yeah, and same with anything that happens to Vic, it's going to be permanent because his program's running in real time. So. Mm-hmm. There's real danger to their friend. Uh, we have a drive by from Captain Cisco to see what's up and be like, <laughs> Hey, why, why are you all worried about this hologram? Get back to work. But, uh, O'Brien and Bashir are trying to figure out what's, you know, how to, how to solve this problem. Nog definitely wants to be in because he wants to help. Uh, Kira is also in, uh, Major Kira, who kind of, you know, runs the day to day of the station and is the Bajoran liaison or whatever her, her position is at this point. Um, she has a line where she says that she and Odo both owe a lot to Vic and that's from another earlier episode. <laughs> Kira and Odo had this like long simmering romantic tension. Odo's mm-hmm. the security chief of the station. He's the changeling. He's played by Rene Jobernet, uh RIP, who's one of his more memorable roles. Part of their delicate dance Was ignoring the fact that they both felt that way, but they both told Vic because he's like a safe friend. And so he engineered them talking to each other when they thought they were on like training dates with like a hologram of the other one (laughs) to like practice how they could tell them how they feel.
1: Oh, I'm in for that episode.
0: Um, so yeah, so he essentially got them together.
1: So this this characterizes some things. Because, okay, when I watched this episode, I did not know that they were together. And we're going to have a scene coming up where I'm like, what is happening here? <laughs> and then there's a scene later, or it is mentioned that they're together later. And th- that's when I go, oh, okay, all of this is making <laughs> sense now. But uh, this is good. This is, like, my notes are like... Everyone loves Vic. Yes. (laughs) And it's good to know some of this history here. Not that I I will point out that the show does a great job of just telling you that. Like, it's not like you need to know that to enjoy the episode because it's just very clear that everyone loves Vic. And also Vic is played by um, James Darren. Yeah. Uh, Who just like he's just likable.
0: He's a he's a charismatic actor.
1: Yeah. You just want to be like, oh, yeah, I hang out with him in his lounge. (laughs) <laughs> uh, which I otherwise would have no urge to hang out. Uh, Vic seems like a nice enough guy. And he's got a lovely voice.
0: Um, we have a, a brief scene with Cisco and and, and uh, Cassidy. They are together. I don't think they're married at this point. Doesn't matter. Long-term stuff. Yeah. They're currently, you know, romantic partners yeah um, on the station, uh, she's not in Starfleet. She is a civilian, uh, which again, I don't know if it really matters. Other than just she has a lot of candor with him.
1: She makes it into Starfleet by the time the Orville comes around.
0: <laughs> I have not seen the Orville. Is she in that?
1: Yeah, she is. She she plays a doctor in there. Uh, she's a great character, actually. Um, I like the Orville. It scratches a Star Trek Next Generation itch sure. that I've been like looking for. Uh, I. To, I am aware of who makes it, and <laughs> there is a little bit of that all throughout it. But um, she was also on Castle. I don't know if you've ever watched Castle.
0: I've heard of it. I have not watched it.
1: She was the captain of the police there. Um. Um, anyways, I like I liked this actress a lot. Like uh, She plays roles where I'm like, oh, I like this character. So when I saw her, I was
0: immediately like, oh, this is great. She's great. And also, this relationship is very interesting and goes through lots of twists and turns over the course of the series, as with all of these things. Um, This scene is here both to... Show us that Cassidy is also friends with Vic. Yeah, she's telling Cisco about like all the you know the problem and what everyone's trying to think of to um, help. He uh, doesn't seem very enthused. Uh, <laughs> he uh, does say that it does sound a little silly to him because he's just a hologram. He's like, well, he's more of a friend. He's not just a program. But we establish that while she f- considers Vic a sympathetic figure, uh, Captain Cisco just doesn't like going to Vic's. Right,
1: and he doesn't want to talk about it. I do want to talk a little bit about this. Um, is he, is he, he's just a hologram or, uh, is he a friend Mm. in the context of a universe that also has data? Yeah. Right. Uh, and I think Voyager takes place after Deep Space Nine, right?
0: They're kind of contemporaneous. Okay. They overlapped when they were airing. I forget exactly how the time, the in fiction timeline works out.
1: But we also have, um, the uh doctor uh and i I understand making an argument for uh, the audience's sake and whatnot but i think it feels to me firmly established in star trek that programmed entities are entities Mm -hmm. i i feel like there may have needed to be some sort of (laughs) classification or something where she could say oh no he is on this level the same level where we treat data the same level You know, um, and not the same level that we treat, say, the, uh, computer that responds to voice commands. Right. Uh. It's it's an interesting thing to dive into because it is so completely constructed, and yet there's examples of creatures and people throughout uh, Star Trek that that fit in that category that you have to consider actual entities.
0: There's there's a strain of that in Voyager in the later seasons where there's a whole kind of plot movement around holographic rights. Mm-hmm. The way that they present it as a issue is. Kind of exposing this like human bias kind of thing where Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, you, you know, you have no problem at some point accepting that like data is a person. Yeah. Because he like walks around and has a body and can interact on that level. But when you get to entities that are created out of photons, you don't even seem to realize how biased you're being Mm -hmm. because we are self aware. Right. And then that's complicated by the fact that some aren't self aware and some are. So then there's this whole thing. It's like, so does that mean that some holograms are slaves like, and that becomes an issue in Voyager that is handled, you know, better or worse depending on the episode and, and, and whatnot. Um, here, apparently, this is my, my memory alpha research, but apparently, Cisco yeah. is, is here kind of as the voice of the, of the audience segment that didn't like Vic Fontaine as a character. Oh cuz that was apparently controversial at the time to like introduce this character as a re- recurring presence on the show it's
1: pretty late in the
0: series for that Yeah it's like in like the 6th yeah. season or whatever and it's like you know don't mix your weird next generation ish 20th <laughs> century culture worship with my fantasy space you know, war show. Yeah. So some audience members really didn't like that character and didn't like that. He was on the show. And so something that I think is a little subtle and kind of, and, and clearly here as intentional is to at least have someone on the, in the show being like channeling that counter narrative a little bit of like, you know, is this really a big deal? Of course, then he gets swept up in it by the end. Spoiler alert. But um, yeah, this, that's an interesting little piece of the writing, I think. That is. And
1: I think it's necessary for us to mention it here because our viewer, our listeners obviously are here for the Holodeck right. uh, episodes. Like, why else would you be listening to t- 20 a
0: day? That, that would not occur to me that someone would not like Fig Fontaine. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, so back in the hollow suite, uh, Vic's been all beat up. He got thrown out and
1: yeah.
0: busted up a little bit by, uh, Frankie Eyes' boys. Cheech, one would imagine. Bashir, being the doctor, checks him out. He has some bruised ri- ribs and a sprained wrist. You know, he has a big bruise around his eye, which is kind yeah. of the physical signifier of his issues here frankie sent teach to encourage him to move along they apparently go way back ever since vic beat frankie at stickball back in the old neighborhood <laughs> they've been rivals ever since o'brien and bashir want vic to lay low while they make a plan uh kira and odo are down in the casino figuring out if frankie eyes has a weak spot but they have to be careful because if they're not vic's the one who's going to end up buried in the desert
1: i think this is the scene where vic just like dumps Uh, To my surprise, how much he knows about the going-ons of the ship, what you've said so far has now explained a whole hell of a lot of that to me. Apparently, they just all go to him with their problems. Yeah. And I shouldn't say ship. It's a station. Excuse you. Yes. uh, (laughs) But uh, Vic is a security liability. I'm just going to put that out there.
0: Technically, he's in a hollow suite, which is a... Right. You know, in which Quark owns or whatever. Mm -hmm. And Quark is a civilian. It gets, this gets into the very like weird yeah. relationship, uh, like the rabbit hole of like, wait, how does this all work? Because like, yeah. the Federation doesn't <laughs> have money, but Quark pays rent. And so right. instead of taking physical money from Quark, uh, Cisco and others just like lean on him for things every so often or like, you know, we could just <laughs> Be charging you rent, but instead hook us up with this hollow suite that runs all the time so our friend Vic Fontaine can have (laughs) a real-time, you know, life. It's wild once you start going down the rabbit hole. Um, so is this the first like wait a minute moment that you were talking about with uh Kira and Odo, where Odo's like, Yes, I'm gonna hang out here and ogle the show girls. Okay, so there's a number of wait
1: a minutes going on here. (laughs) Uh the first one is just I'm just going to hand wave Star Trek nonsense. Uh, cause Star Trek is of the era that it is. Uh, and it has this weird thing of, uh, again, about the very current culture in which it's filmed. Yeah. Uh, I know Odo enough to know that he's a shapeshifter of some sort. Right. First of all, oh, okay. So Odo's into that. That's a surprise. <laughs> and then, uh, the way Kira is, is, teasing him i was like wait there's more to that than just a friend teasing someone about it yeah what is happening (laughs) like and i did not know that the two of them
0: oh yeah they're they're an item odo's job is to scope out cheech and and you know all the enforcers and so he kind of hangs out on their periphery while they're swapping stories Uh, Mm -hmm. apparently the the problem is there's just too many too many people in this business named polly yes (laughs) Kira goes over to the casino side, is, is playing blackjack by herself and. Through the magic of narrative convenience, uh, because we were only have forty-five minutes to tell the story, uh, Frankie Eyes, of course, is attracted to her and comes over to her table.
1: Now, I'm going to say it's not narrative convenience, <laughs> or rather, it's not. I'm going to say it's narrative convenience on the Felix design level. Oh, okay. This is the 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 central point of my argument that the crew are the player characters mm-hmm. because you'll note throughout they get all the NPCs. D- attention whenever yes. they want it or need it. And now that can be seen as in a, a television show. It's just, Oh, that's just the convenience or whatever, but that's literally how role-playing games or specifically computer role-playing games work, right? Like, yeah, there's this sort of engagement. People are going to dump their information on you. People are going to be attracted to you because you, you need them to be, you know, like mm-hmm. they all have their eyes on these, Player characters in a way that probably, from the point of view of Frankie Eyes, it might not even be explicable to him.
0: I mean, and that is kind of a like holodeck feature thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like the whole idea is that it's there for you. So, like, the real yeah. people are the ones who get the attention. I mean, it's fine, it works on all the levels. Yeah. It is there for that moment where he comes over and has this whole thing showing his character, where he's making the dealer keep dealing out cards until she, you know, gets blackjack, and he's yelling at the dealer for dealing out the wrong cards, and they have banter about breaking the rules and. Well, I'm very sure of yourself. No well, doubt is for losers. And quite a philosopher.
1: Well, I'm thinking of writing a book. What's the title? Well, maybe you could help me think one up. My talents lie in other directions. Good title. Mind if I use it? let would say you already paid for it. So what do you say we uh, hit the bullet table and see if I can't buy chapter
0: one? <laughs> we see Kira letting herself be, you know, talked into spending more time with this guy. While on the other side over there, Odo is using his uh, changeling abilities to do close-up magic and <laughs> impress the... <laughs> <laughs> impress the, the the goons, which also feels like a very role-playing-y thing to me. Like, yeah, <laughs> all right, what do I have? I don't have anything on my sheet to... Well, all right, I'm going to use my shape-shifting ability <laughs> to impress them with a magic trick. It's like, all right, roll for it. All right, it works. Great. Yay. They love you. You're from Bajor in Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we get the whole crew back in Vic's place. Now we are joined by uh, Ezri Dax um, as of the final member of our uh, of our squad. She is the uh, station's counselor. Mm-hmm. She is the new Dax uh, as this is after Jadzia Dax um, had an unfortunate end who was on the show through the first six seasons.
1: Oh, okay. So she's really new.
0: And that's one of the, like, I think in DS9 conversation, like, the like Ezri Dax as a character is kinda like, eh, kind of like, uh kind of could have been handled better because she just didn't have that much time yeah. to, like, get into the show. Uh, it doesn't matter for this episode, but the whole deal is, though, so she's a trill. There's, like, the worm creature, and that's in a host. Yeah. And so the worm creature is, like, is the Dax. And so the Dax creature has all these lifetimes, including an in earlier lifetime where he was like in a body that was buddies with Cisco. And then he was in uh-huh. jetzia Dax. And then Jedzia ended up getting together with Worf. And then jetzia dies. And then the Dax, Dax survives and now is in Esri. And so now she has all these complicated relationships because she has all these memories. Right. It doesn't matter for this episode. She's another <laughs> member of the crew.
1: <laughs> I knew probably jazia decks and I, I i a little bit about uh that that it was a symbiote and had other lives and whatnot during the the um, homework episode that i watched that that we we're like wait a minute what who is this person? Oh. And then it just kind of <laughs> fell into place. Now, was Jazia Dax also the like counselor, the the space station's counselor? Or no,
0: she was. She was like a science, more of like a science officer. Okay. Um. So she was more in like the command structure. So that's part of the like yeah. character drama is that Ezri has a different career. So once she becomes Ezri yeah. Dax, like she doesn't just fit back in, you know, to the social structure. She's like, yeah, she's also the, you know, the therapist. And then she's the one who's had the most trauma. So that is a difficult (laughs) thing for her. Uh, Sci-fi. Sci-fi. Anyway, she's going to be part of our part of our crew as we go along. We get more parameters from talking to the GM. Um, Frankie Eyes was sent to buy this casino by... Carl Zemo, who's a big, big, yeah. important mob guy. Uh, he's the one backing the venture. He's the one who has the cash. And so it's a simple operation. If Frankie Eyes runs it. It brings in a cool million a month. And he s- sends a couple hundred thousand back to Zemo tax-free. Zemo's going to be coming to the hotel in six days to pick up that first payment and make sure that everything is-, is going well. O'Brien asks what would happen if Zemo didn't get his skim. Of course, that would not go well for <laughs> Frankie Eyes. So if you're thinking what I'm thinking, (laughs) Bashir says that they just need to keep him from seeing that money. So Vic lays out all the obstacles that are going to make this difficult. Right. In addition to stealing from the mob is just a bad idea uh, in a very uh, uh, Rockfordian move.
1: (laughs) If you're familiar with the 1970s detective show, The Rockford Files.
0: Um, Stealing from the mob is a bad idea. The money's in a safe in the count room. Uh, It's a locked safe. There's a guard outside the count room all day, and then there's the two count men inside when they're actually counting the money. Hmm. And the crew's like, well, we will figure this out. We are a bunch of capable Starfleet officers, and you've given us a problem, right? Like, (laughs) let us assemble our skills and knowledge and figure out a solution.
1: My notes at this point include, do these people have a day job? (laughs) And then uh, M's contribution Which is this episode should have been called Deep Space Eleven.
0: Yes, I mean it is very much a Oceans Eleven homage. Yeah. Pre the remake. So this is an Mm. homage to the original Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Which is very not like the remake. Oh. I watched it (laughs) sometime earlier, like in the last year. It's worth watching. It is not the same. I'll have to check it out, actually. Yeah. I think it was on Netflix when I watched it. But yes. So yeah, let me get this straight. You're going to knock over the casino and steal a cool million from the mob?
1: (laughs) You want your lounge back or not?
0: Deal me in. (laughs) Epi, I need a quick break. I'm going to grab a taco. You tell our wonderful listeners all the places that they can find you and your work on the information superhighway. I'll be right back.
1: One way to find me is to go to twitter.com and search for at Epidiah, E-P-I-D-I-A-H. I'm usually responsive there. Otherwise, you can go to worldswithoutmaster.com where you can find my sword and sorcery fiction and role-playing games. And if you like role-playing games, maybe you want to check out diga a thousand where uh, I publish all my other role-playing games. Oh no, I dropped my calculator. Nathan, while I go pick up a spare, why don't you tell the good folks uh, where they can find you on the internet?
0: In addition to this podcast, I also design and publish role-playing games, including the worldwide wrestling pro wrestling role-playing game. Among many others, you can find links to all of my games and other projects at ndpdesign.com. And of course, you can find me on twitter.com at ndpaoletta. Looks like you're back. You, you ready to continue the arithmetic analysis for this episode there, Happy?
1: I'm back. I have my DM42 with me and I'm ready to get in, dig down into Rockford's books again.
0: Mm. All right. Well, I'm done with this delicious avocado taco.
1: Well, let's get back to the show then
0: cut to frankie eyes pouring out a bunch of cash for the count men uh kira is with him she has now got apparently gotten in the position of being his uh lady companion oh my
1: god is she vamping it's amazing
0: (laughs) she is having so much fun
1: (laughs) yeah yes i I mean like probably the actors are having fun but you can see that the characters are having fun doing this right like this is They're not calling it this, but they're like, we're going to LARP. Yeah. We're going to take a little time and we're just going to LARP this zany situation here. Uh, where there's something like a friend's life on the line.
0: It's not that there aren't stakes because there are, but there is a little bit of a sense of like the worst case scenario here is that like our hologram friend is going to get into trouble, is going to like have something terrible happen. Right. If that happens, we could just reset the program. Like, yeah, his memory has gone, but we'll have him back. Right. Like there's stakes, but they're not. At the level of, like, Dominion War, like, the station's going to get destroyed, changelings yeah. are infiltrating our government, like, those are the stakes this crew usually is dealing with, so yes. <laughs> I feel like this is a little bit like, yeah, we can have a little fun with this. Um Frankie Eyes is trying to really, uh coming on strong to Kira, telling her there's more of that cash more cash where that came from, etc. Cassidy is outside the count room playing the slots and making friends with the guard who hangs out there, telling him that, you know, clearly he must have played football and trying to, you know, connect with him on his fictional background level. Then we cut to Cheech uh, hitting a hapless uh, employee in the face with a cheesesteak which cracked me up you call this a cheesesteak i wouldn't feed this to my parole officer (laughs) yes odo interrupts introducing esri as a friend of his that needs a job and uh cheech who clearly is taken with her uh with her cuteness uh agrees that sure she can go ahead and be gainfully employed there as a waitress Calls Odo stretch.
1: Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this line of dialogue for a second. (laughs) I don't know if I've recorded this exactly. Thanks, Cheech. I owe you one. I don't mention it, stretch. Maybe one of these days you'll show me that. uh,
0: Show him what? (laughs) I think I filled in, at least in my head, like show me one of those tricks.
1: Maybe. That could be. But it felt to me like a weird sexual innuendo (laughs) that i was like what is going on here but go on
0: uh then Vic interrupts he wants to see frankie he's coming to him on bended knee i can't get a job in this town uh Mm -hmm. you know how can we talk this out how can i make it right uh frankie wants nothing to do with him but he says that he knows some high rollers he can bring in some big you know some some big players to come drop money at the casino yeah Kira helps this along by kind of encouraging Frankie to be like, hey, just, you know, tired of listening to this. Just let him say what he has to say and get out of here. Helping his story by playing him off, right? Mm -hmm. And Frankie's like, all right, fine. If you bring in a couple plebes." Then we'll talk. Vic offers to buy him a drink. He says, "I don't drink with losers." <laughs>
1: this is another moment where, uh, again, I think that the it's shown that the the programs are designed to find the crew at least interesting, if not attractive, mm-hmm. throughout. Right? Like that's just the the the. The situation Mm -hmm. you're going to have if you walk into a holodeck, whoever (laughs) you are, you don't have to be command crew. (laughs) This whole thing could have been solved by non-command crew, but we'll get into that in like the next scene, I think.
0: So, our next scene is, uh, Cassidy and Cisco again, where Cassidy's kind of explaining this plan and talking <laughs> about all the things they're doing. And Cisco's still kind of, uh, incredulous. He's like, <laughs> so my entire senior staff is part of, uh, quote, this yes. nonsense. And Cassidy, uh, comes back with, well, he's still a friend and you help your friends. And we finally kind of get to the nut of why Cisco yeah. is not into this. Um, it's not about Vic Fontaine as a, as a person, as a character. You really want to know what my problem is? I'll tell you. Las Vegas, 1962, that's my problem. In 1962, black people weren't very welcome there. Oh, sure, they could be performers or janitors, but customers never. Maybe that's the way it was in the real Vegas, but that is not the way it is at Vicks. I have never felt uncomfortable there, and neither has Jake. But don't you see? That's the lie. In 1962, the civil rights movement was still in its infancy. It wasn't an easy time for our people, and I'm not going to pretend that it was.
1: Baby, I know that Vix isn't a totally accurate representation of the way
0: things were, but it is meant to be. It shows us the way things could have been, the way they should have been. We cannot ignore the truth about the past. Going to VIX isn't going to make us forget who we are or where we came from. What it does is reminds us that we are no longer bound by any limitations. Except the ones we impose on ourselves. So, this is another thing that Deep Space Nine cared about, which was yeah. the relationship that people in the future would have with a past that they have transcended, right? So, Cisco yeah. and Cassidy, as black people in a future that theoretically has transcended racial issues, have different relationships with the past for their people. And that's Super interesting. And something I had completely forgotten was in this episode.
1: Yeah, it's just like it's the smallest bit of this episode, uh, which uh, it sort of has to be because the episode is, is like you were talking about earlier. It's a beat between the heavy stuff, mm-hmm. but it doesn't just let it drop. It doesn't just be like, uh, we're just we're going to ignore it. No, I really enjoyed this bit here uh, as a let's acknowledge the problem here that this is not this is a historical.
0: And it's and it's still relevant to, you know, stuff that we like that we do. Right. Mm -hmm. Like this is a relevant conversation continually where it's like when you're doing stuff that's set in the past, that's about issues that are still relevant. What's the responsibility of. The creator in portraying how things, quote, actually were in heightening certain things or in presenting, as Cassidy says, a version that it should have been. Right. There's different values of, of presenting uh, historical material in those different ways. And, uh, it's, uh, it's something that we all have to grapple with if we are interested in making those kinds of fictions. So I'm glad it was here to put a little like, to put, if nothing else, a little flag here saying, Hey, as writers of a show that have now written, <laughs> written a, a setting that is in the recent past. And that's yeah. flagged here as like something that is um, a choice that was made, and not just a thoughtless piece of dressing. I guess I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's the show does a lot of that, so it's nice to see that in this later episode. And then I think plot-wise, this is important because we see Cisco listening to Cassidy and thinking about what she about her version of why this is important. Yeah. So we then get back to the caper where the crew blackboard. With the plan chalked on it in Vic's apartment, <laughs> they're talking about how they just need one more role. Uh, Worf's not going to do it. Uh, Quirk wouldn't do it. He sees Vic as competition. We need someone <laughs> to command attention at the craps table. It'll be a big distraction or the whole plan's going to fall apart. And, of course, then we enter Captain Sisko. Captain on deck. So we now get the classic, all right, let's go over the plan one more time.
1: Yeah. With a great line, far be it from me to tell Starfleet officers how to do their job.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's something I really love about the about this version of the selfware hologram, where it's not about him like striving to transcend the holodeck. It's him being like, "No, this is my life. This is my world and my life and my concerns. And I understand that you have your world with your concerns, right. and they're different." But when you're here, like I need you to understand certain things,
1: it it really did feel like uh like something a dad would say to a bunch of kids who are like <laughs> we're well we're playing at being Starfleet officers, right? Like the, like okay yeah sure out there that's important, but those rules don't apply here.
0: All right, so the 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 plan as such is. Uh, Kira keeps Frankie Eyes away from the casino so that he's not going to interfere with anything. Uh, Cisco and Vic will lay down the heavy bread at the craps table to draw a crowd and keep attention away from the counting room. Uh, one of the count men always takes a break at the same time every night to make a phone call uh, and the other orders a martini so Ezri is going to bring him in that martini. She's going to swing by Julian's table where he's playing poker so that he can put Ipecac in the martini. <laughs> uh, Why she can't just put it in before she brings it to him don't don't yeah it. it's important <laughs> it's important that julian's at that table for other reasons yeah <laughs> for the plot but yes in this moment it's like okay but, and a little bit of it's like, alright, everyone needs to be involved. Yeah, right?
1: every PC needs something here. That's the, yeah.
0: If if Julian's player hadn't showed up that week, it would have yeah. been fine. But <laughs> uh, Esri drops the martini with the other guy. She leaves. Cassidy then goes to her guard friend to accuse O'Brien of stealing her chips and have this <laughs> argument to distract the guard. So the guard doesn't see the Ipecac dosed guy run out to go to the bathroom. That's when Nog, who is dressed as a custodian, uh, slips in. He uses his uh, his special skill of extra Ferengi hearing to crack the safe, listening to the tumblers and and uh, figuring out how to open it that way. And then Odo was uh, shapeshifted as the drink tray, so since he's already in the room, he then gets to transform into the bag man and have a giant briefcase to carry the million dollars in cash out of the casino, dump it in the trash cans outside, Zemo comes, there's no money, all of our problems are over. So I I got a quick question. Is the briefcase in that room? Odo's makes the briefcase
1: he can do that yes all right all right i wasn't quite because sh- i he clearly makes clothes <laughs> that is the <laughs> that is the polite fiction of all shapeshifters <laughs> that even though they're clothed anytime you touch them you're touching their naked bodies uh all right that was the thing that i was just like a little bit like if the briefcase is there why can't uh nog just but again everyone has to have a thing
0: yeah he he grows the briefcase as part of yeah. it, and then yeah,
1: yeah, because my notes are like Odo could have done all of this. I know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, o- Odo is the GMPC who can yeah uh, do it all. Uh, Zemo's scheduled to come in two days, so they're going to go tomorrow night. So now we have a brief little montage of everyone practicing their parts, which yes. is delightful. Um, including, uh, uh, Nog doing trial runs on the, I assumed just in my head because I'm a Star Trek nerd. I'm like, okay, so he's in a hollow suite and he's doing it. And then it zooms out and it's like, no, they like built a physical one, I guess, (laughs) like out in the play. They like replicated one from the practice on, which I don't see as superior to doing a holographic one because it is a holographic one, but know i'm no starfleet officer maybe they couldn't get enough time in the Hall Suites, and it was easier just to replicate one um and then this uh, concludes with uh i think i mentioned there's some like really celebratory bits this slightly slow motion march of all the crew all dressed yes through quarks yes. and uh like that's very like that's the real like oceans E like yeah all right we got everyone together everyone knows their role now we're gonna see them get to work I'm telling you, Morn, something's going on in Vix that we don't know about.
1: I I just switched back to my notes, and I should point out, there's scenes of Cisco practicing rolling dice.
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) Which I love.
0: So that he can show off as a high roller.
1: And then this slow walk-in, correct me if I'm wrong, are they playing a jazzy Star Trek theme? Like, I don't know the Deep Space Nine theme well enough to know if that was what was going on, I'm not very good with music. (laughs) Like it was jazzy, but it certainly felt that like hopeful Star Trek exploration style that I, I was like, yeah, I'm digging this. (laughs) I would dig, A whole show based on this theme.
0: All right. Our caper begins. Of course, everything goes according to plan, right?
1: Yes, of course.
0: (laughs) I do like... So there's two things about this before going through it. One is I really like the escalation of how it starts off with things not going quite right but they can handle it and then each of the next thing that doesn't go quite right is just a little harder to handle um so it's not like a big crisis and then they have to scramble and change everything
1: like my note again i'm following this theory that this is a role playing game right and uh this is exactly how this style of role playing game plays out where okay We've, we've now discussed in front of the GM our entire plan. And then the GM just makes a little something go wrong every step of the way so that we have to roll to overcome it. But we, we sort of just overcome it the moment it happens.
0: Yeah. Or inserts moments where it's like, all right, let's make the roll. And then yep. there's a lot of um failing forward here, right? Yeah. None of these rolls stop the action. Yeah. but they do complicate things so that someone else has to step up and do either do something they hadn't already planned or step into someone else's role to fix a problem. Quite often. I feel like in these sorts of games, these things happen
1: and then we're just waiting for a thing to happen to feel like it's big enough to have said we did it. And that thing happens in this, but clearly, you know, this is a written thing. So it was, they were leading to it, but it's, it, still follows that same pattern Hmm. like we're like we're just gonna make these things go wrong until we feel like we've done enough things going wrong and the solution some solution to one of them is is just the right note to end it all
0: and also it's where everyone's had a chance to do a thing yes yes Gonna take turns. Yeah, we're going around the table, everyone has a chance to do a thing, then we wrap it up. Um so yeah, so Caper begins. Um oh, another thing I was gonna say is there's a moment where I'm like like in a longer form thing, like if this was a movie or if we were starting the episode kind of without a bunch of setup, and we're just like in it at the very beginning, like already kind of almost here. There, there is an opportunity for the big twist where now they have to come up with a completely new solution that I kind of was looking for, and then it doesn't happen. Yeah. I'm like, oh right, because there's only five minutes left in this episode. Like,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you if you're watching the clock, you know why it doesn't happen.
0: But yeah, so uh, you know things start off as they planned, but then the first problem is that someone runs into Esri and spills the martinis that she's bringing over to Beshir's table. There's a beat while they both go oh no but then Bashir thinks on his feet and grabs martinis off of a different waitress's tray and uh drops the ipecac into one of them so whew Everything's still good. Uh, she goes in, but oh no, the normal guy who's in there who orders the martini, he's out with the flu. And there's a new guy <laughs> who is having, having none of it with this, uh, with this, this cocktail yeah. waitress coming in. But then she, I refer to in my notes as reverse psychologies him into drinking yes. it anyway. <laughs> it's good. Like this is a,
1: I, I was, I was hoping for some fast talk mm-hmm. in this episode. And this, this is the one that hits it where she just is like, Okay. All right.
0: Yeah. You mind if I drink this?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's great because it fits her skill set too. It's just, that's what she is. And so, yeah.
0: Um, so he, uh, you know, has the requisite, uh, uh, reaction to send Ipecac. Uh, so Nog slips in, Odo reforms, but oh no, the safe is not (laughs) the same as what they thought. It has an auto relock tumbler and it's not going (laughs) to be as easy to crack as he had practiced. And so now this is going to create the drama where they're all they're on a timetable and then yeah things aren't happening when they're supposed to and everyone has to start throwing in delays to buy him time. Kira's hanging out with Frankie Eyes, he's waxing about Bugsy Seagull not having a <laughs> not having a, a, a statue in Vegas. Um she keeps on telling him that she just wants to you know have a drink and talk. She doesn't want to go to the casino, etc. Uh, at the craps table, Vic is stressing out it's taking too long. Uh, they're starting to get into the high roller thing. Back to Kira and Frankie Eyes. And what is this? Uh oh. Mr. <laughs> Zemo has come early. Yes. Dun dun dun. He also is amazingly cast.
1: Yeah, well, I was. I don't really recognize any of the stuff he's been in.
0: I mean, he's an older guy, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I recognize the stuff. I just don't recognize him.
0: He's not someone that you would be like, oh, I, I know him as an actor, but just like his face and his demeanor.
1: I think I remember him best as Spike the Bank Robber on Mr. Ed.
0: <laughs> Mark Lawrence is his name. Yeah. Yeah, he's been acting since the 30s, so... <laughs>
1: Yeah. What, what time? When was this episode? Because this guy was born in 1910.
0: Yeah, this episode was in aired in 99.
1: Yeah, so 80, 88, 89 years
0: mm-hmm. old. Oh, and he was in Newsies, so. Oh, ah. there you go. Anyway, uh, Carl Zemo, he doesn't want a drink. He wants his money. Yeah. Uh, Kira tries to distract him with her feminine wiles and is totally shot down, which is <laughs> yes. kind of amazing.
1: It's a great honor to meet you. I know. Frankie has told me so much about
0: you. Frankie. Yeah. The money, Frankie. Right this way. Let's go. Come on. Yes running out of time uh bashir sees the count man leaving uh leaving the phone um to head back to the counting room so a couple things here first of all i think this was in the uh in the run through but he orders his martini stirred not shaken and that yes. is a in joke reference because he's obsessed with james bond and spy things so he has spy programs where he uh. is cast as the bond figure he orders his martini stirred not shaken
1: yes okay
0: um also i really appreciate this that we when we go back to him we see his poker hand which is oh, a house yes. and then he folds on it because he has to go intercept the guy and it's like oh <laughs> Queens over eight Queens over eight. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, tells him that Frankie Eyes wants to see him out back and if he didn't do anything wrong then he doesn't have anything to worry about Mm -hmm. so that gets him from going back to the count room then Vic goes to intercept Zemo and delay them but his play is that he goes to the woman that's with him and is like hey remember that great time we had in uh, in Miami or whatever so he's just just playing for time
1: so this is is one of my favorite tropes (laughs) and that is the uh, desperate drawing of a punch for a distraction right (laughs) like he is he's putting himself in harm's way trying to make it so that they have to take time to beat him up uh now that ultimately that doesn't happen to him but that's his play here right like
0: i'm gonna make myself such an annoyance that yeah i'm willing to take take a punch if i need to to buy time yeah Nog still can't get the combination. Uh <laughs> Cheech grabs uh Vic to haul him out of the way, and Cisco, in an act of desperation, just starts yelling, Everyone's a winner, and throwing stacks of cash into the air. <laughs> this of course causes a commotion with all of the holographic casino patrons crawling all over each other to collect all this free money that's raining all over the place. Um and this does by Enough time for Nog to finally get the combination. Yes, and Odo starts shoveling money into his into his skin. <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> his Odo box.
0: Uh, so this whole time, uh, Cassidy has been uh, distracting the guard by calling him over, you know, by accusing O'Brien of stealing her her chips. Um, so his back has been turned while Nog went in and, and everything. Uh, he's finally had enough. He's like, "All right, I can't leave my post." Charlie, strip search. <sighs> This is another in a long line of indignities that poor Miles O'Brien is subjected to (laughs) over the course of his tenure in, in Starfleet. Um... Cassie turns on the waterworks to oh, yeah. keep the guard looking at her while Odo and Nog slip out of the count room, fulfilling a line earlier in the episode where it's like, Turn on the waterworks if you have to. Yeah. Kira sees them and is like, Alright, Frankie, just show him the you know, show Mr. Zemo the count room already. Yeah. Uh, which is great. Um there's a it's a bit buried in the mix, but he has a line of he says something as they're going, like, I tell you, Mr. Zemo, this place is making money hand over fist. Yeah. <laughs> and of course we cut to opening the safe and it's totally empty. And Zima goes, where's my money? <laughs> then we have the celebratory ending shot where uh, Frankie and Cheech are being walked out of the casino by Mr. Zemo's goons with hands on their guns, <laughs> obviously taking them out to execute them. Yeah seems rough. And all of our crew is posted up at the bar. So they all turn to watch them one by one. So we see each of their faces turn to uh, watch the slow-mo procession of doom. Um, and then as they walk out the front door, the hollow suite resets. And the casino's gone. And they're just back to Vic's lounge. <laughs> There's a fun moment in there where you see
1: the dancers, uh, whatever they're doing, they're, they're making finger guns. <laughs> Oh, I missed that. Just to let you know that somebody's going to get executed here. Poor
0: Frankie. Thankfully it resets before they have, I think they have time to yeah. actually perform set executions. So, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so the the crew is there. They are victorious. Uh, they toast. Um, Vic's toast is to the best friends a hologram ever had. Yes. And then he invites Captain Sisko up to join him in a duet of the best is yet to come. This
1: is what I was waiting for. Some Avery Brooks vocals here.
0: Out of the tree of life, I just picked me a plum. You came along and everything started to hum. And that's the end of the episode. Uh, the
1: yeah, episode. I think I, my last Good note here is ending on a musical number. Now that's classy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the best is yet to come, and babe, won't it be?
1: So that, yeah, that was a lot of fun. I'm definitely going to, I mean, now that I've got the time, I'm going to put some (laughs) Deep Space Nine in the rotation. Um, Oh, no, now I remember. I was going to do it when I reached a certain season of Voyager next gen. I was going to wait till the certain season of next gen when Deep Space Nine was contemporaneous with it. But, yeah, uh, that was was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, so this was our our heist episode. Yes. (laughs) So distinct from our PI and our, like... Gaining self awareness monster um, that we've <laughs> considered in the
1: past. So uh, you got Vic Fontaine, mm-hmm. and you also have a ship's counselor. Is mm-hmm. one of them redundant?
0: <laughs> well, as we learned in that earlier episode with Nog, uh, Esri outranks. Him outranks oh, right. Fount- Fontaine, so she has authority vested by Starfleet. Yes, uh, yeah. I mean, they're obviously they're they're filling different roles. I would say <laughs> as Vic is more of an entertainer and more of a f- shoulder to cry on versus a right. mental health professional. Um, but yeah, I mean, when you get right down to it, this uh, this episode is a is a story of friendship. Yeah,
1: it's good. We we made jokes about their scheme, their yeah. plan um, being like you know just in line with how that would happen in a role playing game where you wanted to make sure every player character had a chance to do something and had their moment to shine and and all of that uh but not like too thought out uh as far as like no it absolutely has to be this at this moment otherwise you know the the there's like layers of constraints here mm-hmm. there's the 1960s uh lounge act dealing with the mob layer of constraint there's the we're starfleet yeah like there's all these uh things that just kind of distract you as the audience from really caring too much about how well it fit together that way and
0: you don't really have the sense of like oh this could all go terribly wrong right right i mean like with most star trek episodes you don't really have the sense that like something bad is going to happen to these characters yeah I mean, Deep Space Nine does do that more than other series does, but you usually can tell from the tone of an episode. And this clearly is yeah. not one of those episodes. Uh, I was going to say the thing that I've, I mentioned there's like a moment for like a big twist. Uh, and so something that I was thinking about was how that could go down, which is this whole thing where like if Nod can't open the safe. Right. right they have to uh, do some kind of twist where like they need Frankie eyes to open the safe and then right. do something to like distract him or yeah yeah do something to the money inside the safe so when he opens it like it's all on fire or something
1: swap the safe with Odo and let Odo be the safe
0: <laughs> Odo could just get into the safe right he's liquid. Yeah, like he's (laughs) so he could just like go in through the cracks and do that. But whatever, it's fine. We need Nog to do Nog's thing. Um.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it it furthers my understanding of holodeck, Uh, not technology, because you'll (laughs) never understand that culture, I guess, is what I'm thinking of. I think we've talked about this in previous episodes of 20 a day. (laughs) Okay, so there's Kira and Odo. They show up and Kira has this like, oh, Okay, I see what you're here for, or whatever. But then Kira is totally vamping. I don't, for a moment, think that Frankie Eyes is is her type. Mm-hmm. But like, she is in it to seduce him. Yeah, you get the feeling that that is probably the game that's played with a Hollow Deck, right?
0: Oh, well, I think there is every so often there's a, a reference to like, oh, you do you two want to spend some time in my Hollow Suites or whatever? But like, yeah, on Deep Space Nine in Quarks privately run suites. clearly they are there for adult yeah. entertainment <laughs> in addition to all the other things that people do in suites. and it's kind of a polite fiction that people like go there to Bashir and and O'Brien are kind of weird in the fact that they have these like really elaborate like fantasy war scenarios that they like go like defend the Alamo or they go like yeah sail with the Vikings and stuff like that or they they're World War Two pilots <laughs> it's like mm, yeah. Well, you two are, are, have the free time to build these elaborate things and yes. go do them because you're buds and this is what you do with your downtime. People who are paying by the hour for these things, they use the holosuites for something else.
1: And it's like, it's not even
0: always just sexy
1: time. I think it's like it's just the, the kind of connection that Vic is offering here, right? Like I, I feel like previous Star Trek holodeck stuff has sort of not acknowledge that and Mm -hmm. created a fiction of this is where wharf goes to train Mm -hmm. uh and this is where we go to play out classic novels (laughs) and this is just like no we go to vix because that's a Uh, now that i think about it i think voyager had they had a weird tropical paradise that they would often go to and that became a center point for a few episodes of like an alien species invading that but uh so i guess there is like that you go to like you just go to enjoy some scenery uh but this is the first one where it's like it made it kind of clear to me that you might be very attached characters in a holodeck
0: it's virtual reality right like it's a fully mm-hmm. 3d version of um how people get super attached to like their world of warcraft guild
1: yeah yeah
0: there are other individual people there that you can connect with, but there's also NPCs and 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 critters and the world and the lore and stuff that you can get immersed in. And then you have this shared language with other people, and that's like a social bonding. And Vix yeah. is like that, where he's very intentionally a space for people to like go bond in a different way than they do as officers on a station.
1: I wonder if there's uh, Vic Fanfic. I mean, not now. Not currently on the internet. I mean, in the world of uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, Mm -hmm. where it's not even a phenomenon, right? Vic is a bespoke program for Bashir, right? Originally. You wouldn't encounter Vic on the Enterprise in their holodeck. Yeah. Or like back on earth nobody is running their vic program it is just as far as we know just on deep space nine
0: yeah i mean and at the end of the day that's all it's it's great because it Gives us this uh, fun heist yeah. episode of <laughs> of our future our future space show. <laughs> and I uh, can't complain about that. Nope, cannot. My last kind of takeaway from this in terms of what separates this from other holodeck episodes, in addition mm-hmm. to all the things we've already mentioned, is that, uh, because it's not a problem with the holodeck, the problem solving is not technical, right? So mm-hmm. they're able to move in and out of the space. They're not trapped and there's no like yeah. confusion about levels of reality, which is another aspect of a lot of the holodeck yeah. ones. Um, so it feels more just like a day in the life. This isn't a, I mean, it's abnormal in the sense that every episode is abnormal because it's a unique plot, but yeah. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, sometimes we just hang out with Vic and we deal with stuff in the hollow suites. It's not like, oh my God, everything, the, the the computer is corrupted and all the safety things are off. It's like, no, we, we have to take this problem within the constraints that is presented to us. There's fictional constraints. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and we have to operate within them or we cannot solve the problem. And, uh, yeah. And let's use our, use our abilities within this bounded box. And that's a fun way to think about it.
1: That that resonates so much with with role playing games, right? That that's why I, I exactly you know, that connection worked, and uh, yeah,
0: yeah. All right. Well, I think that is probably about all we have to say about this episode of Deep Space Nine, which brings us to the end of twenty a day. Thank you for joining us, and yes. we will be back next time to talk about another holodeck episode in the Star Trek universe. <laughs>
1: I just wanna go <laughs>